Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are continuing a series called The Art of War. We started this last week. Uh, and really the series is all about the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, that the enemy of our soul is out to get us, and that God has given us a defense against those, those, um, those, that onslaught. <clears throat> um, and I want to make something very clear. The, the armor of God is not our armor. It's God's armor. It's God's authority. It's God's power. We simply clothe ourselves in it. He's given us access to it. So none of the armor of God is ours, but he gives us the ability to clothe ourselves in this. So what God does is he gives us the tools we need, but it's from God. It's not because we're good enough or strong enough or powerful enough or any of those kind of things. But the truth is all of us are at war. You just might not realize you are at war. Uh, And really, uh, I think when we don't think we are, that's probably where the enemy likes us to be. He likes us to believe that everything's fine, where there's no issues, there's no problems. But when we understand that there is an ongoing battle that we are neck deep in as believers, uh, we understand that we need to do something about that. And so that's what this series is really all about. Uh, we're looking at the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading there today. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you, might, uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, last week we started with the the belt of truth, and we talked about that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. It ties in with the breastplate of righteousness, but we're going to finish Ephesians 6.14 today and just take the next piece of armor that, that is talked about by the Apostle Paul, and he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I will be the first one to admit that if I announce to you, hey, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness at church, that is not very dynamic. Like, people aren't lining up outside waiting for church to start so they can hear about the breastplate of righteousness. But one of the things I love about this series is I feel like we're going to uncover some things. You're going to discover some things that God has for you that maybe you never realized that he had for you before. And so we're going to walk through this together. When we look at the breastplate of righteousness Uh, The breastplate, according to Roman soldiers, it was typically something that was made of either bronze or chain mail. Um, If it was bronze, it was one solid piece. Uh, And when we see in like kids' Halloween costumes with Roman soldiers is they have a breastplate and then it's like fastened in the back. Like it's got, you know, on Halloween costumes, it's got like a rubber band holding it in the back. That's not historically accurate, by the way. I just want to make sure you know that. Uh, a A normal breastplate would have two pieces, both front and back. And this is significant because it would protect the soldier 
from attacks from any direction. Now, I, I don't know about you. Has anybody ever seen like, um, like a kung fu movie of some sort, or maybe not even kung fu, a fight movie where maybe somebody was fighting a group of people, like five, or maybe not five, like 20 ninjas attack our hero in the movie, and this is what happens. The hero starts taking them all out, and if you're just paying attention to the hero, you think, man, he's killing all these guys. Like, he's just taking all 50 of these guys out in this battle, but if you look at the other guys in the battle, have you ever done that before? And the other ninjas are always doing something like this. The fight's going on over there, and the other ninjas are like dancing around, like watching. You know what I mean? And I always wanted to say to the ninjas, if, if you were smart, you'd all attack him at once. Go, get him, right? Like there's one of him, and there's 50 of you. So attack him from all sides. He can't stop you. And sometimes we think spiritual attacks come that way. Like, okay, if the devil comes against me, he's going to come from the front, I'm going to see him, I'm going to know he's coming, and I'm not going to have any issues because he's not going to attack me from multiple sides and multiple angles. It's going to be one. No, no, no. He's not like the ninjas on those movies. He's going to attack us from all sides because he doesn't play fair. He plays dirty. And so the breastplate of righteousness protects us not just from an assault that we can see coming that we anticipate, but the most damaging assaults of the enemy in our lives are the ones we don't see coming. They're the ones where you have a friendship or a friend that seemingly betrays you that you never expected it to happen. Or you get a layoff that you'd been part of this company for years and you never expected to be laid off. One day your spouse walks in and says, I don't love you anymore. Those are the things that we don't expect, we don't see them coming and this is why the breastplate of righteousness is so important because it protects us not just on one side, but on all sides. It covers us. It covers our front. It covers the back of us as well. It covers the vital organs. Uh, the actual word breastplate comes from the Greek word. It's the Greek word thorax. Is, you might have heard that before. Um, but it's basically the area from uh, the base of your neck to your navel is what it's talking about. And so this is the area that the breastplate would cover. But it would cover your most vital organs, the organs that would be targeted by an enemy attack, the organs that if you got injured there, your life would be in critical danger. It was often fitted with loops and buckles, and it would attach to the belt. And if it was attached correctly to the belt, then it would typically hold more securely in place. If the belt was loosened, then the breastplate would be loosened. If it wasn't attached correctly, then it wouldn't function correctly. It would fit loosely, and it would provide gaps for the enemy to be able to um, get behind or underneath your armor. And again, I want to go back to this. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth is foundational. Really, Jesus is foundational in everything in our lives. And if Jesus is the center of everything, everything else will function correctly in our lives. And when it comes to the armor of God, if the belt of truth, if the belt of Christ, who Jesus is, is firm, it secures every other portion of this armor for us. So if that's secure, then it makes the, the breastplate of righteousness function more correctly. Now, when we talk about the word righteousness, it's such a churchy word. Um, we don't use that word righteous anywhere else except uh, in church primarily. And when we think of righteousness, it might have lots of different meanings for us. Uh, there are, there are, are, are textbook meanings that you could apply, but if I can take a little liberty, really when we talk about righteousness, what we're talking about is justice or justness or, or even divine holiness in terms of God. Um, but really in a broader sense, Righteousness can be defined as the condition of being acceptable to God. Now, this is what you have to understand. Um, 
the condition by which we're acceptable to God cannot be, cannot be attained by us. So the only way we can be acceptable to God is through God. Okay? So let me explain this. For thousands of years, and even today, we try to make ourselves acceptable to God by our actions. Well, if I just try harder, if I work harder, if I start being nicer, if I, whatever it is, then I'll be acceptable to God. Then he'll love me more. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's actually, as we'll see in a minute, it's actually kind of the opposite. Um, what God does is he says, hey, come to me with all your baggage, all your hurts, all your issues, and I'm going to make you righteousness. Uh, I'm going to give my righteousness to you. And what Christ has done is actually taken on our sin. He's traded us out. So the only way we can really become righteous is by stopping the attempt to be righteous and just say, God, I want you. I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And then we take on his righteousness. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says this. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquity, like the wind, take us away. Doesn't that encourage you? <laughs> this is, uh, out of context, this is a terribly depressing passage of Scripture. But what we see in context, the prophet Isaiah was talking to the nation of Israel, and he was talking to a group of people that were attempting to be righteous by what they did. So if we just act right, then God will love us more. And this is what Isaiah says to them. We've all become like one who is unclean. And calling a Jewish person unclean is one of the worst things you could call them. It's because if they were unclean, it separated them from relationship. It divided them from God. And it divided them from relationships of others around them. It was a problem. And so when Isaiah says, we've all become, and he includes himself, he says, we've all become like one who is unclean. And he says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. What he's saying is, everything we're doing to try to attain the righteousness of God or be acceptable to God, in God's eyes are like a polluted garment. And now I want to be uh, very direct with you. Some of your interpretations might say a filthy rag. And now that's going to be found in the King James, maybe the NIV as well, and a few others. And let me be very clear about what it's talking about. One of the worst things that can happen is for you to be unclean. One of the ways you became unclean is if you had an open sore or a wound or something, or a, a, if you were bleeding. And so uh, when women would have their menstrual period, they would bleed. And at, during that time, they were unclean. They couldn't, they couldn't do certain things. They couldn't enter the temple. Um, There's all kinds of, of prohibitions against that. And so this is one of the most unclean things. And what Isaiah is saying is, hey, on your best day, when you're trying to achieve salvation or be righteous in your own strength, your righteousness compared to what God demands is like a menstrual rag. That's what it's talking about. Now, I know this is terribly direct, but this is what I want you to understand. On our best moral day, when I'm being nice, when I'm treating my family well, when I don't kick my dog, when I let the person in in traffic, when I'm checking all the boxes, my righteousness still has no power to save me. In the eyes of God, our best day is a filthy rag. Our best day is like a polluted garment. 
And he goes on to say, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquity like the wind take us away. So what happens is we may start strong, we feel good, we look good, kind of like that leaf in the spring. And we live in western Pennsylvania, we see what happens to the leaves in the fall, don't we? They, they start to wither and before long the wind blows them away. And this is what happens with us when we try to achieve righteousness in our own strength, eventually we will lose the ability to do that. We'll realize we don't have the ability. We, we lose our focus. We lose our energy and we realize how futile it is because ultimately the culture, the wind of our culture will take us away. So what we have to understand is our self-righteousness has no power to save us. Now, does that mean you're not good? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is that's a response to God's righteousness. You're not righteous because of what you do. Um, because you're righteous, that's what you do. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Matthew uh, 23, Jesus is talking. It's funny because people think Jesus was just nice all the time. And you see, you see like pictures of like kids in his lap or him laughing or whatever it is. And you, I bet Jesus was just delightful all the time. And he was. I, I believe he was a joy to be around. But uh, he was mean to religious people. Did you know that? Like, not mean-spirited, but he was direct, and he was honest with them. And so he's talking to a group of religious people in Matthew chapter 23, and this is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He calls them out, and he calls them hypocrites directly to their faces. He says, for you are like a whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are all full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is what he says. Um, you might have driven by a, a cemetery and there's a mausoleum that someone, maybe a wealthy family has erected for a family member who's died, or maybe many of their family members are, are entombed in this mausoleum and it's beautiful. It looks nice and it's fancy and all those kind of things, but what it's holding is not very fancy. It's death, Right? And what Jesus is doing, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, hey, you're like a, a whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but inside there's no life. There's no vibrancy. There's nothing happening. And he said, that's what you are like. And he calls them hypocrites. And this is what happens when we attempt to look the part or be good enough in our own strength. We're like a whitewashed tomb. We look good on the outside, but behind the scenes there's no life. It's kind of like in the summertime, um, people who... The, their yard looks good for a day, and then two days later, the weeds have overtaken, and then they have to go back and mow the weeds again. They're, all they're doing is mowing weeds. Too many times in our lives, what we're really doing is just mowing the weeds. We're just trying to make sure it looks okay, but we don't want to take care of the problems or the issues. And, and we're convinced as long as we look all right, as long as they think I'm doing okay, then I'll be fine. But that's not the case at all. Because Jesus is far more concerned about your heart and what's going on in you than what society thinks about you. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking. And he says this. Uh, he, he's just given his, his spiritual resume. He's talked about all the things he did spiritually. Um, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. Uh, he was doing all these incredible things for what he thought he needed to do. 
But it says in verse 7 of Philippians 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now let me stop there. What he's saying is, I used to have a value system. And my value system said, if I perform well, if I do all these things, then God will love me. And he said, and I was important. I did some really good things. And, and if there's a profit and loss statement, he said, on the profit side, man, it was all those things. And I realized that my value system was wrong. And I took all that stuff and I put it in the loss column. I realized that all the stuff I was trying to do was really worthless. It was, in, it was va- valueless. It was adding nothing to my life. And he says, now I know what's really important. Now I know what's valuable. He says, I count all the stuff that I thought was valuable before. Now I count it as rubbish, as garbage, as trash. Because knowing Christ and gaining Christ is more important. Verse 9 says, and be found in him. So you gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So what he says is, hey, the righteousness that I could try to gain on my own through my actions was worthless. It had no value at all. But what I know now is having a relationship with Christ, that's what brings righteousness to me. 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 says, for our sake, he, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So this is what happens. We were sinful people. Jesus was a sinless God. And God said in his his love and benevolence for us, he said, Jesus, you're going to take on sin so that they can take on your righteousness. That's the most lopsided trade of all time. We should not have been there to receive that, but In God's love for us, he let us receive Christ's righteousness, and he gave Christ our sin and the punishment that comes with sin. Philippians 1.11 says this, Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fruit of righteousness. So what we see here is that righteousness is something that's produced in us Not because we try harder, but because we're in relationship with Christ. So this is what happens. As we submit our hearts and lives to Christ, as we endeavor to live like he wants us to live and and value what he values and love what he loves, as we endeavor to do that more, as we just want to know him more intimately, what happens is righteousness is produced in us, but it's not our righteousness that we can take pride in. It's because we are in Christ that righteousness is produced in us. And that righteousness is what protects us and shields us It protects us in a number of ways. The thing we see earlier, the breastplate, its purpose is to protect the vital organs. And I would say the most vital organ in our body is the heart. And what we see in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 is this. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The Passion Translation says it this way. So above all, guard the affections of your heart. For they, all, they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. What this is saying is be vigilant about the condition of your heart. Guard your heart. Guard what enters your heart. 
because everything in our life flows out of our heart. And I tell our staff all the time, um, if I could have you do a good job, perform well, or I could have you know Jesus really well, I want to have you know Jesus really well. Because if you know Jesus really well, you're going to be better at your job. If you know Jesus really well, you're going to be a better pastor, you're going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better whatever it is, a better boss. All that flows from our relationship with Christ. So if my relationship with Christ is healthy, if my heart has been guarded against the wrong things, and it's, um, it's, it's bringing life through the right things, then ultimately I'm going to be healthier. My relationships are going to be healthier. My performance is going to be better. So what we have to do is guard our heart. Now, there's a thousand things you could guard your heart against. We could make a gigantic list. We could brainstorm together today. But since I've got the mic and I'm preaching, I've got two, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first thing you have to guard your heart against is offense. Abraham Lincoln said, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. Um, the world we live in today is a world that seems to be offended perpetually, doesn't it? Everyone seems to be offended. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your gender. It doesn't matter your political affiliation, <clears throat> your nationality. None of that stuff matters. Everybody lives in just an offended state. And this is what I would tell you. I think if Jesus was here today and uh, talking to you today, I think he would say, I, I, my desire for my people is to live an unoffendable life where it doesn't matter what people say or do, I'm not gonna let that offend me. Because people don't give offense, we take offense. Um, some of you are already so excited about this portion of our message today. I know this about myself and about, I think, humans as well in general. Uh, when we've been offended, we tend to believe the worst about the person that's offended us. We tend to not give them the benefit of the doubt. That's why the people that are least likely to offend me are my family, my wife, my girls. They can say things that if somebody else said them, I might be a little bit offended by, but because it's my girls or my wife, I don't get offended. And the reason is because I know them, I love them, and I've given them the benefit of the doubt. I go, well, you know what? I know Kim's heart, and I know she would never say that to hurt me, so she must. it just must have been a moment where... She wasn't thinking. It must have been a moment where maybe she, her, her emotions were a little frazzled. My wife's emotions don't get frazzled, but I'm just illustrating that for you because your spouse might get that way. <laughs> my wife's not here this morning, so I can say stuff like that. Um, but I know my spouse, and I know she would never actively try to hurt me, so she can, I can give her the benefit of the doubt. But it's crazy when somebody else says something, uh, it's easy to get defensive and go, well, what do they mean by that? Well, I'm sure... They're, I can't believe they would act like that. Do you know who would act like that? People who hate me. That's the only, they, they must hate me. Why would else would they say something like that? And we immediately, and you think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Because we immediately jump to this response where we go, oh my gosh, I'm good and they're evil for doing this. I can't believe they'd say that, they'd act that way. And we immediately paint a picture where as if we have the moral high ground and they are just just horrible. If we were going to have a Mount Rushmore of evil, it would be Satan, Hitler, Osama bin Laden, and Tim from accounting. Like, that would be it. Like, right? Oh, I can't believe evil. 
And that's, the, that's the, the, the picture we paint of people that we're in conflict with sometimes. But the truth is we have to understand that, the, that, that God loves the person you're in conflict with as much as he loves you. And when I look at someone as evil because we're in conflict with each other, because I've gotten offended by something they said or did, I have to understand, no, 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 they are someone that Jesus loves desperately, that he laid his life down for, that he loves them just as much as he loves me. And the same benefit of the doubt that I give my wife, I need to be willing to extend that to others as well because God has called me to live an unoffendable life. And when I allow offense to get in my heart, it doesn't hurt others, it hurts me. Um, People don't drown because they're in water. People drown because the water gets in them. And, And people... People can't control what's going on around you. You can't control the voices. You can't control the whispers. You can't control that stuff. But if you're in the middle of it, that's one thing. If it gets in you, it's deadly. When that offense gets in your heart, it's going to sever relationships. It's going to drive wedges. It's going to cause you to be bitter. It's going to cause you to be hurt. It's going to cause you to hurt others. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21, it says this, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Basically what it's saying is, don't pay attention to the voices. And don't give them credence. And let's be honest, haven't you said a few things about other people as well? And if I can take some liberty for Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying, grow up, act like a grown-up. There you go. That's my word for you today. Grow up, act like a grown-up. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Again, it doesn't say, hey, if you give your life to Christ, nobody ever say anything bad about you. No, that's a sales pitch. Because when you give your life to Christ, it doesn't mean rumors will stop. It doesn't mean that Negative talk will end. It just simply means that we need to respond to it differently because Christ is in us. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, from the Passion Translation again, it says, a wise person demonstrates patience, for mercy means holding your tongue. When you're insulted, be quick to forgive and forget it, for you are virtuous when you overlook an offense. You know what's interesting to me is people think And we talk about generosity a lot here at Summit Church. We believe in radical generosity. And I've told you before, it's not just with your finances, it's in every area of your life. But when we think about generosity, we think about our money. And there are people that that think they are very generous with their finances, and maybe you are, but you're not generous with an area like this, extending mercy to someone who needs it. And if you can't extend mercy to someone, you're not really generous. It doesn't matter how big the check is that you write to our church. You're not generous if you can't extend mercy to someone. Maybe you're generous in one area of your life, but what, what Christ desires for us is to live a life that is full of generosity. That when someone does something, even intentionally to hurt me, I can look at them with grace and mercy and go, hey, the same mercy that I've received, I'm extending to you. I'm gonna be generous with mercy because I've received mercy generously. <laughs> Ricky's excited about that. Nobody else is. That's okay. You're virtuous when you overlook an offense. It's not even about the other person. It's about me making a decision about my spiritual well-being and guarding my heart and saying, I'm not going to let offense get in me. I'm protecting my heart to make sure I'm healthy. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now you go, wait a second, breastplate of righteousness, right? But in the context of relationships, I think faith and love are so important. If I can extend faith and love to the people around me, it's gonna help guard my heart in a relational way. The second thing, real quickly, that the breastplate of righteousness protects us from is condemnation. Carl Jung was a noted psychologist, and he said, condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth, and we talked about how truth sometimes seems like it will trap us. If we've got unconfessed sin or something hidden in our heart, an addiction or a habit or a relationship that nobody knows about, we think if the truth comes out, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to keep us hindered. But the truth is, it, re- it releases us. It frees us. And what happens is we have this condemnation in our spirit that if anybody ever knows what we're really like or or sees how we really are, and that's condemnation in us. This is what you have to understand. The Holy Spirit will correct. The enemy will condemn. Condemnation will drive you further from God. Correction will draw you to God. See, what the Holy Spirit does is he'll speak truth to your life and go, no, 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 no. Hey, maybe that's not the right way to think. Maybe that's not the right action to take. Maybe this isn't the right, right relationship to embark on. Hey, and he'll gently speak to you, and he always does that to reconcile you back to the Father. Now, this is what the enemy does. The enemy will bring condemnation, and what condemnation does is it'll, it'll drive a wedge between us and the Father. It'll drive us further from the Father. This is so crazy. Um, there have been situations, even in this church, where, um, where something has come to light and the most important thing that someone could do in this situation is stay connected to small groups, stay connected to the church. But because they have so much condemnation over them because of what they've done or what they've been a part of or what they've experienced, they go, no, I can't be part of the church anymore. And they distance themselves from the church. They distance themselves from godly relationships and godly community. And as a result, they're, they're out by themselves. They can't defend themselves any longer because the condemnation has gotten in them. Um, I love National Geographic and science shows and things like that. And one of the things, if you're ever watching a pack of wolves hunting caribou, they will take their time. They might go on for miles and miles and miles because what they're trying to do is separate one of the caribou from the herd. If they can get it separated, then they know it's, it's easy pickings. And this is what the enemy does to us. He tries to pick us off. He tries to separate us. He tries to drive a wedge in godly community between us and others. And the way he does that many times is through condemnation. First John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, the breastplate of righteousness helps us see that although maybe I've messed up in the past, God is still good. He doesn't see my past. He sees my future. And that breastplate of righteousness defends us against the, the whispers of the enemy because the enemy is going to come to you and go, man, do you remember that you did that? Do you remember you had that relationship? Do you remember when you did, you said you would never do that and you did? you remember that? And the breastplate of righteousness, it's not my work's that defends me. It's God's work that defends me. I can go, hey, you know what? Devil, that might have been who I was. That might have been what I did. But God has no recollection of that. It's a defense against the condemnation of the enemy. And what the scripture says is when there's no condemnation, we have freedom as children of God to go before him. We have confidence before God. See, some of us believe, I'm just a, I'm just a lousy sinner. I'm just... 
the dirt on the bottom of Jesus' sandal. I'm lucky that I can even get into heaven. And I've heard preachers say things like that, and I understand that sentiment to some degree. But that is not how we're viewed. As a child of God, God's not saying, you're just lucky I'm letting you into heaven because I remember all the junk you pulled, right? I remember all the things you did. I remember the things you said, the relationships. I, I know all that stuff. That's not what he says. He says, hey, you're a child of God. Come on in. Whatever my child would ask of me, you ask of me. That's what he does. We have that kind of confidence. Romans 8, 1 says this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're free from condemnation as, child, as children of God. If we can simply put on the breastplate of righteousness, protect ourselves, protect our heart against the condemnation that the enemy will bring to us. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. There's a passage of scripture in Proverbs 15:9 I want to read to you, and it says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. This isn't to divide us, like the church and the world, but there's definitely two different ways of thinking in our world. Um, it's the way the world thinks, and the world is largely selfish. And there's the way that the kingdom of God should think, and the kingdom of God is all about the kingdom of God. It's not about me. I'm not the first priority. It's about God and his, his kingdom, what he wants to do, how he wants to work. And it says the way of the wicked is an abomination. When we are selfish, when we are all about our own pleasure and our own comfort and what we want, that's an abomination to the Lord. But he loves those who pursue righteousness. I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because I'm God's. And because I'm God's, it stirs something up in me that once makes me want to pursue God even more. And as I pursue God and I know him more, God delights in that. And what he does for us is he gives us his righteousness. It's produced in us. Now again, this might be a fine line. I want you to understand this. Righteousness isn't produced just because we go to church. But this is what you should understand. We should go to church because we love Christ. If we're just going to church because it's a religious activity, I got bad news for you. It's not going to produce anything. But if, if you're at church, you're going to small groups, you're connected to a life group, you're doing all those things because, God, I just want to know you more. That's when God begins to work in miraculous ways. Matthew 6, in the book of Matthew, well, in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus is talking about um, possessions and selfishness and all these kind of things. And it's, it's such a challenging chapter. But in, in Matthew 6, he says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he's talking about all the things that people in the world want. And in our context, it'd be the right house, the right car, the right vacation, the right, all those kind of things. And so when we look at this verse, and Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and, and his righteousness, God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You go, hey, wait a second. So if I just go to church, I'm going to get the house I want. No, that's not what it says. What it's really saying is this. Um, hey, the fulfillment you're looking for in all the stuff in this world, the right job, the right house, the right car, 
the right social media image, all the fulfillment you want from that stuff, it's not going to be found in that stuff. But what Jesus says is, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. Not the houses, not the stuff, the fulfillment. He said, you want to have a fulfilled life? You want to pursue the kingdom of God, pursue the righteousness of God. And when you do that, your life will be fulfilled. And I'm telling you today, some of you, you're wounded and you're hurt, you're disappointed, and some of them might be because you put on the wrong armor. You put on the armor of your righteousness. And what you have to understand is that won't defend you against anything, but the armor of God. The, the true righteousness, that will shield our hearts. That will protect us as we press into him. So let's pray together. God, we love you. And we're grateful that you love us. We're grateful that we're powerless to save ourselves. We're powerless to produce righteousness in ourselves. But God, as we submit our, our hearts to you, ourselves to you, God, we can know you more intimately. You can know us more intimately. And, and ultimately, that's where... We see your righteousness produced in us. So God, I ask today that, Lord, you take those of us that are here that don't know you, God, draw us to you. Lord, let the, the voice of condemnation be silenced, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw us to you today. Lord, I pray that those that don't know you, today would be their day to surrender their lives, submit themselves to you, and trust you as Lord. I pray for those that are here today that are believers, that, that simply have tried to do it themselves. Lord, they, they, they're busy trying to build their kingdom and find fulfillment in other places. But Lord, I pray today would be a day you'd awaken us to the reality that, that, Lord, when you ask us and challenge us to pursue your kingdom and your righteousness, it is for our benefit. So God, I pray that you would stir something up in our souls, a longing for more of you, to know you more intimately. And I pray that you'd help us pursue that. Now, with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not in a relationship with Christ, but I know I need to be. I want to surrender my life today to Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, and you say to me today, Mel, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Would you just st stretch your hand up real high? Let me see that, and you can put it right back down. If there's any here that said, Mel, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, a couple hands up in the balcony. Yeah, three hands in the balcony. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Who else would say, that's me? Pray for me. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Okay. I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me out loud, whether you raised your hand or not. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, and thank you for giving your life to pay for my sins. From now on, my life belongs to you. Have your way and use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can we?
Now listen, if you pray that prayer today and you meant it, we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey because uh, your, your journey has just begun and we want to help you. So if you would, take just a moment and you can fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. If you fill out the side of the card that says salvation and take it over to our info center when we finish up here today, uh, they're going to give you a Bible uh, just as a gift, a token uh, for, from us to you to say we're proud of you, we're excited for you and we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So stop by there, let them give that to you. They're going to tell you about. Uh, we got some small groups. We've got other resources that we're going to get you in the days and weeks to come as well. So take advantage of that. If you're watching online and want to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back and help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's going to happen right now. Pastor Todd and the worship team, they're going to lead us in one final song. While they're singing, our prayer team is going to come up and they'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, Please take advantage of that. Come forward, let them agree with you. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Pastor Todd, our worship pastor, is going to close us out and he'll dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.